0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text is 2 Corinthians text 12, 1-10, just read. I hope all of you had a wonderful 4th of July with family, friends, and fireworks. And I hope the weirdness of it falling smack dab in the middle of the week did not upset your seven-day clock like it did mine. I kept thinking I had to have a sermon ready for what was Thursday, And by Friday at about 1.30, I had to ask Juanita what day of the week it was. But we celebrated. We celebrated the independence we have as Americans, independence that was declared from our being ruled by the British government. And we celebrate big. We celebrate with the marks of greatness, big fireworks, with them going on for days or all week, parades in small and large towns, traditionally with bands playing patriotic music, heroes riding in fancy cars, police fire trucks with their sirens blaring, and lights flashing, and our military is represented, though not to the extent I remember being done so just 10 or 12 years ago. It really is a celebration of the American strength and will that declared and won our independence and some might call it boasting or bragging about our strength and what we have done. We are not alone. Other countries do the same. It is part of our nature to celebrate with and as winners, and we want to have bragging rights. What might it look like if we were to celebrate our weaknesses? What are they? Certainly, poverty among us in our cities, even in our own neighborhoods, mental illness, homelessness, addictions, the opioid crisis that is surrounding us. There is our culture of easy abortion and the loss of a sense of the sanctity of life that is also present in gang violence and sometimes the way we look and treat elderly. All of these topics are difficult, challenging, and hard to talk about, especially if they have impacted us or those we love personally. It is like the question we all hate on performance reviews that ask us to list, list your weaknesses and areas needing improvement. Mm-hmm. The question about listing our strengths is so much easier to answer with vagaries like, well, I'm a good team player, I, I like to help others succeed, and I feel like I'm a good mentor. All in all, I'm a pretty good old chap. In our epistle reading from 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about someone he knew who had seen a vision of heaven. Out of body, in the body, he was not sure. But what a gift to have been given to see the richness of heaven and heard things that could not be repeated to men because there were no words to describe them with and they were things people did not need to know. That would be something to boast about and to mark yourself as one set apart and special. Paul was speaking about himself, of course, and the vision he had had been given to teach him the things of God and the grace of Christ. He did not want to boast about it. It was a passive event for him. He had been caught up, taken up. It was God's doing, not Paul's. But instead, he boasts of the thorn that had been given him, a weakness the devil was allowed by God to place upon Paul. It was a messenger from Satan. And of course, the question always is, what was it? He never identifies it. Some, by examining his writings, believe it was a problem with his eyesight, that he just couldn't see well. What's something, maybe something we would call macular degeneration today. They've looked at his text, and he speaks of writing with his own hand, possibly in a large print, so he could see what he was writing. Some theorize it may have been a sort of crippling mobility issue that made it difficult for him to get around to the areas he might want to reach or possibly a speech issue that made communication difficult or made being taken seriously difficult. Some of the church fathers saw this thorn as the very suffering we see him brag sarcastically about to those in Corinth, the slander, abuse, and beatings he endured for the sake of the gospel. It may have been a sinful temptation of some sort it really does not matter, whatever it was, he suffered with it. He suffered with it enough that he asked the Lord to remove it three times. It was a suffering that he saw as impacting his ability to function and carry out his ministry. We see something about suffering in Mark's Gospel that we read. We heard of Jesus being rejected in Nazareth by his own people. They knew him as Mary's son, a carpenter, and named his brothers and sisters. Interesting point, though. Mark does not record them as saying he was Joseph's son. Mary's son, unspoken is their possibly inner thoughts. The bastard child of a fatherless child. We have heard all of Joseph, I mean, we have all heard of Joseph taking as his own Mary as she was with child before being married. Whose child was it? Or dare they not, out of some fear, confess their suspicion that he was, in fact, the Son of God? Christ rejected suffering. Then he sends the twelve to preach the good news that the kingdom of God was near, heal disease, and cast out demons. The next thing in Mark's Gospel that we did not read is Herod wondering who Jesus is, and the past tense account of the beheading of John the Baptist. The rejection of Jesus, suffering is coming, the word of God going out with mercy and healing, showing his love and concern for all of creation, and John the Baptist beheaded by unbelievers for his preaching of the need for repentance. These sufferings are like bookends to the Word of God going out into the world. Suffering is all around us, and we are part of it, as we ourselves suffer. These bookends serve as a reminder that crosses and trials are part of the Christian life, and Paul recognized this. Suffering brings us to reliance on God and nothing in ourselves. The end of all suffering is death. In death, our entire hope is in God the Father, and the mercy shown in the suffering of his own Son for us. Before knowing Christ Jesus, knowing of him only, Paul, or Saul, had wonderful bragging rights to his faith as a Jewish leader, in his flesh, who he was, and the things he had done. Recall his words in Philippians 3, 4 through 6. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. That is Christ's church. And as righteousness under the law, faultless. His point was well made. All of that is now useless. There is no boasting in himself but only boasting in Christ, and he suffers for it. In 2 Corinthians, the church he is writing to has false apostles in its presence, and they are listening to them versus simply trusting in the simple truth Paul, the true apostle, had, had given them in the gospel of Christ, crucified, dead, and risen. They are being fleeced and told there is more to their salvation that they must do. They were trying to continue the practice of circumcision along with the keeping of other laws, dietary laws, etc. For them, Christ was not enough. These false prophets came along boasting in their accomplishments in addition to what Paul had preached. There was already the heresy present that Jesus was not fully God and fully man. He was a prophet or teacher to follow. So Paul sarcastically boasts in his accomplishments as a follower of Christ to point out the foolishness of their self aggrandizement. In 2 Corinthians eleven sixteen 16 through 29, and pardon me, this is a long quote. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. You've been tricked. For you bear it if someone makes of you or if, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs and strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. We would never come to you in that way. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they, off, are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I am, t- I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to fall, and I am not indignant? Paul brags or boasts in these things to show the power of Christ, his risen Lord, to give him all he needs in these and every imaginable situation or suffering, nothing to be added, Suffering points him to the sufficiency of what Christ has done for him, saving him from death. After listing all of this, then he speaks of the thorn in his flesh. As if all of this was not enough, God has still allowed him to be afflicted, to keep him mindful of his imperfect condition, his brokenness. It therefore kept him mindful of Jesus, his mercy and grace. Christ's undeserved forgiveness poured out so richly on Paul that he would from heaven call to him to be an apostle, one who had walked, talked, been catechized by Jesus himself, versus a disciple who followed having heard about Jesus, like you and I. Paul had credentials, but counted them as nothing compared to the message he proclaimed about Jesus. So, what do we celebrate? If you had a personal independence day, what would you or I celebrate independence from? Credit card debt? A paid mortgage? Do people do that anymore, pay off mortgages? Would you boast in your family's accomplishments or your children? Would you boast in your family heritage or history or all of these, possibly while pointing to God's forgiveness as if the sin in, as if they sin ooh, what did I say you point to God's forgiveness as if anything you had to do with, with gathering it and with bringing it to yourself that somehow you contributed to removal of your thorns could you however or would you boast and celebrate your coming death I mean It's right around the corner in the grand scheme of things. It's an unavoidable and ultimate weakness. Can you boast in it? Sin is the thorn that makes this unavoidable. How about the death you received in your baptism, through which you were buried with Christ, and the power of sin, death, and the devil was killed and drowned? Would you boast in that only to be considered a fool by the world, friends, and even relatives? With all the great things we want to claim we have done, can we do that self-evaluation and, like Paul, boast in our thorn or thorns, our sins, and repent of them? We may not even want to speak of them because they are ugly. Per capita, murder rates and abortion rates are ugly numbers. But if we hate, if we don't open our mouths and defend the most vulnerable and weak, what are we? Ugly, thorn-ridden sinners that must look to Christ to remove the thorns and take them for us. We are then free to brag on Christ who, having no sin in himself, was glorified in taking our sins to the cross. Two members of our congregation lost parents this week. I really dislike that term, lost. They're not lost. Keys get lost. Small change gets lost in the sofa or under the seat of your car. Papers and computer files get lost. In Christ, we know where they are. We do not lose anyone who is in Christ because Christ is in us and we are in him. Leroy and Lucille had the thorns they endured in this life removed in their deaths. No more sin, no more suffering. They now boast completely in Christ alone. Their souls present in paradise, awaiting the resurrection of their flesh. This was Paul's hope for himself, and probably even more so, for the people in the churches he planted like the one in Corinth. It should be the hope of every pastor, of every father, of his children. Knowing Christ and nothing else, because nothing else matters. Beat me, shipwreck me, rob me, toss me in prison, take my life. Just let me know Christ. Brag, celebrate, rejoice in that. Amen. And now may this peace, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. I want to share with you a letter from Pastor Brian Wolfmuller I received yesterday. He writes, Dear Saints of God of Advent Lutheran Church, Thank you for the honor of the call to serve as your senior pastor. It is indeed a gift from Jesus to be a pastor in his church and it is a double honor to be called to serve among you in Zionsville. With this letter, I am humbly and with faith that the Lord Jesus will continue to bless you with his word returning the call. I owe you all a number of thanks and I think a few words of explanation. First, thank you for your patience as we considered this call. Thank you for your hospitality and generosity during our visit. Thank you for your prayers for our family, and for hope during this process. After meeting with the elders and the call committee, as well as Pastors Feeney and Grady, I understand what intense and careful deliberation you all gave to the call. I am delighted that the first concern of the congregation is the gospel rightly preached and the sacraments rightly administered, and I trust that the Lord will grant that desire. Second. I hope that my returning this call does not indicate that I saw any problems in the congregation or the call. Quite the opposite. Regarding your congregation, I was encouraged to learn of such a beautiful and faithful congregation, and regarding the call, it was generous and kind. Zionsville seems like an incredible place to raise a family, and Advent seems like an astonishing congregation that will continue to bless her neighbors and the world with the preaching of the gospel pastor grady demonstrates great capacity as a pastor in the lord's church the staff are competent and eager to serve the congregation and the elders and council show all the marks of a great team pastor feeney's legacy of clear preaching profound clear preaching profound teaching and a joyful preservation of our liturgical heritage are all clearly in place i'm especially grateful to monty whose patience, kindness, and clarity were a comfort to me during this entire process. He is a good ambassador of Christ and of Advent. In addition, Chuck's work and the work of the entire call committee is to be commended. Thank you all for your clear dedication to the preaching of the Lord's pure gospel. The Lord Jesus has clearly blessed Advent and we know according to his word and promise that he intends to continue this blessing. Third, I am grateful to God and to to you all for the blessings received in the deliberation of the call. This was a surprise to me. I knew the Lord would have blessings after the decision was made, but I did not expect that there would be such blessings in the deliberation for me, for my family, for hope, and for Advent. It was a blessing to meet many of you face to face. It was a blessing to reconsider my work at Hope and in the world. It was a blessing for our family to take stock of where we are and how we are doing. It was a blessing for Hope to consider how it would be to call and have another pastor. Fourth, I feel a debt to you to explain the reason for returning the call, a debt I'm not sure I'm able to pay completely. As indicated above, Advent seems to be a wonderful congregation. It was difficult, on the one hand, to determine what should be weighed in a balance And yet, when weighed, all things seemed very equal. In the end, my intuition agreed with the advice of all the old wise pastors. When in doubt, stay. I know this letter will be disappointing and sad for many of you, perhaps especially the call committee who thought their work was finished. I am truly sorry. Carrie and I left Zionsville saying, There were a lot of friends of the gospel and we rejoice that we stand with you as friends in our fellowship and doctrine and look forward to seeing you all again in colorado indiana and the last day the resurrection to eternal life finally i'm grateful to god for the sturdy faith of everyone involved in these conversations the saints of hope the saints of advent all of my family and trusted friends i have talked of the confidence that we have in jesus to look after his own church very few have been afraid. All have known and have given me the comfort that Jesus cares for his church. He cares for his pastors. If you stay or go, the Lord will provide and bless. And this is true. All things work together for the good of those who love Christ and are called according to his purpose. Romans eight twenty-eight. We might not always see the, that good, but we walk by faith and not by sight trusting that, that he does, in fact, love us with a love whose depth cannot be sounded. It is with this faith that I commend you to the grace of God and promise to continue to pray for you and for the preaching of the gospel there in Zionsville. May the Lord Jesus continue to bless and keep you. Yours in Christ, Pastor Brian Mueller.